2: This episode is brought to you by crypto.com, Nexo.io and elliptic.co.
1: So we're going to get to a point, I think probably within the next five years, where this technology will be generating a majority of our content and that is wonderful, but also extremely scary.
2: Hey folks, when we were first starting up the show in early 2013, I recognized a giant hole in the market. There was an important forum at Bitcoin Talk, and then later the Bitcoin subreddit would provide an alternative, but that was about it. If you wanted news, or if, like me, you were obsessed with absorbing all the information you could get your hands on, those were basically your best options. But what a difference eight years can make. Today there are thousands of sites writing about our industry, and even more across YouTube, Twitter, and platforms like them. Some doing real journalism, but most talking their book or even selling coverage in some situations. These days, it's not the lack of sources, but the sheer scale of them. And more importantly, how to find the signal in all that noise. On today's episode of Speaking of Bitcoin, we're digging into one of crypto culture's biggest problems, figuring out who to trust. So with all of that said, my name is Adam B. Levine. I'm joined as always by the other host of the show, Stephanie Murphy. Hi there. Jonathan Mohan. Hey, hey. And special guest, Martin Rerack, creator of AI-driven curation tool, AllYourFeeds.com. Hi there. Martin, thanks very much for being here. Andreas is out this week. So, Martin, these days you're working on AI news curation, but you and I have some pretty major history. You were actually my first hire at Tokenly after our 2015 funding round, and we worked together for many hours a day, basically seven days a week for more than three years on different token applications. I think it might be fun to talk about some of the problems that you see with some of these more modern tokenization efforts that are coming out today. But let's start with curation. What do we mean when we say AI curation? And of all the projects you could have picked next, how did you wind up creating all your feeds.com?
1: After being involved in cryptocurrency and the blockchain space for five years, I figured I'd uh, jump onto another buzzword, which is AI which is really this very encompassing and often misunderstood field. I mean, it's really just growing at this stage. I'll get into maybe what we mean by AI curation and how we get there. But the reality was that while we were working together, I just noticed that there was this trend of increasingly fragmented news sources. I mean, there were days I was waking up to, you know, a hundred tabs that I was basically just reloading from the prior day. You know, looking at Slack, Telegram, Twitter accounts, Discord, Reddit, and, you know, dozens of publications online, including various medium blogs and, you know, other publications such as Coindesk, for example. And there was not just a challenge for myself to be able to track all of this information and developments, but also when I had colleagues that were from my, you know, enterprise or professional background asking me about sources that they could use to learn more about Bitcoin or cryptocurrency or specifically blockchain use cases. It was really difficult to be able to point them in any specific direction very easy to point somebody in a direction if they're saying, where can I buy cryptocurrency? But when they're saying, is there a use case here for traceability? Or what do you think I should invest in? Or, you know, how is this project developing? That becomes a lot more loaded and challenging. So build out all your feeds to become this curated portal for industry specific information that would be a better way to navigate for professionals. So they don't really have to have this death by tabs every single day because it's just not going to happen. They're not going to sign up to Reddit and all these platforms and be able to follow all of this. And the other challenge is that there are specific topics within blockchain. You know, to say blockchain or crypto, it's like saying internet or engineering. You know, there are specific applications and use cases within this. So that's kind of how I decided to proceed with all your feeds. It just seems something that would be useful to a variety of people.
3: Yeah, 100 tabs, that's unmanageable and unsustainable. I can see that would be a powerful motivator to try to like organize it somehow.
2: (laughs) So Martin, I remember that as kind of we were getting deeper and deeper and deeper into the project and looking at more and more stuff that was coming around, your response was the 100 tabs. My response was to basically stop looking at new things. (laughs) (laughs) I I found myself so overwhelmed while we were doing it that like you completely took on the role of trying to figure out what's actually happening and kind of like other people are doing because it was that it was just there was such an incredible crushing load of content. I don't want to say news because a lot of it wasn't news and a lot of it still isn't news, but just like so much content and being able to kind of figure out what's relevant versus what's not. You know, like I didn't do Telegram at all until like maybe four months ago. And again, it was another kind of trying to limit the amount of stimulus that I had coming in, which has advantages and I was able to focus. But the disadvantages are, of course, that I mean, in the early days of crypto, right, like we knew every project that was going on. We talked to every project. And even just by year two, right, 2015, the opportunity to do that was completely gone unless you were literally spending every hour of every day, you know, reading and understanding all of this stuff. And increasingly over time, I think that you wouldn't even pull it off doing that today.
1: I don't think there's any chance you would pull it off doing today, even if you're able to create some kind of a custom script or you're trying to leverage existing solutions like, you know, Feedly or some other aggregators, it's really not possible. Now, to clarify, the point isn't to see everything every single day and to know about everything. It's just, it became difficult and unsustainable in terms of just staying on top of, say, three topics, right? So if you were somebody that was interested in trading specifically some of the major pairs like Bitcoin, Ethereum and whatnot, you know, that already demands that you look at, say, 50 to 100 different pages or sources a day. And that could be, again, Reddit pages, Telegram channels, whatever it may be. And then if you're somebody that's looking, for example, for a solution or an exploration of how could I leverage blockchain or DLT technology for my supply chain company, you have to navigate a complete separate set of sources. There is an overlap, certainly. And then beyond just having to navigate different sources, which ones are credible, which ones are written with good intent and also accurate, you know, and. It's very difficult unless you have a strong breadth of knowledge going into this journey. And it's very difficult unless there's some kind of an automated process that helps you navigate. It's absolutely wild how much content there is. Just this morning, I just checked as curiosity. We had 141 new articles in the blockchain portal just this morning by 8 a.m. Even skimming 141 articles is going to, you know, consume quite a bit of time. So you want to definitely be in a position where you're seeking out more specific topical information, but also not ignoring a variety of sources that may be extremely valuable or relevant to what's happening in the marketplace.
3: That is a tough task. So how did you even begin to approach this, Martin? (laughs) What was your strategy, I guess, is what I'm asking. Yeah,
1: no, the strategy was, let's take all of those tabs that I'm opening every day and reviewing every day and start making a list in basically Excel. So that it would be easy to you know, recover and to share with others and then starting to categorize them. You know, this is like a good site for trading information. This is good for finding about, you know, security tokens, safe offerings, providing some commentary notes regarding the quality of those sources, which I understand is a little bit subjective. It's basically being able to figure out which ones are well informed and well intentioned. Versus, you know, potentially very biased or, or just as we talked about previously at some point, the puff pieces, right? That are just self-promoting.
3: Yeah. What is a puff piece?
1: <laughs> well, a puff piece is effectively just an article that has the narrative of the article is skewed by the personal interests of the narrator or the content host. So there are some very high quality articles, which I would consider puff pieces in that they're well-written. They talk about maybe some specific use cases. They introduce data and analytics and try to substantiate what they're sharing in the article. But it's written in a way that is very much supposed to promote some underlying personal interest, whether that's an investment in a specific protocol, an investment in a token. And some writers and editors disclose that at the bottom, you know, like I'm an investor in law. But in most cases, you have to actually dig further. You have to go to their websites. You have to try to find out, you know, when did this protocol launch? What's going on? And that's not apparent to somebody who's just reading an article. You really have to dig.
3: Right. It can be really difficult to tease that out. Like, who wrote this? What's their agenda? And, you know, you said that your assessment of the biases inherent in articles might be a little bit subjective, but at least you as someone who is paying attention to this have a little more of an idea what's going on than your average person who is just trying to like wade through this tidal wave of information.
1: Absolutely, and I think that's also an important element here is that all your feeds, the target user is not somebody who's active on crypto Twitter and Discord and Telegram and they're perfectly comfortable navigating these things and, you know, they're buying, you know, sushi tokens and they're in DeFi. It's more professionals that are potentially in traditional enterprise, maybe broker dealers, traders, who are starting to explore this place and look at it. And it's just, you know, our intent is to be a better way to navigate versus a search engine or a single publication. I mean, search hasn't really changed since dial-up days of Altivist. Google, it's actually a very poor way to try to navigate certain topics and information because of the way that the algorithm prefers certain sites over others. So that's really the audience.
3: So everyone knows that Google has these algorithms that they use to choose which sites they favor. And these are to a certain extent known and people are constantly trying to exploit them using SEO techniques to try to get more eyes on their site. Search engine optimization. Yeah. And of course, that's something that anyone needs to be aware of who wants people to read their website, right? But There could be all different reasons and all different people who are doing that. So anyway, I guess what I'm asking is, how do you get around that problem of whenever you're building an algorithm to choose certain sites to favor or highlight, like there is always this element of it's going to be able to be hacked. And then to a certain extent, it loses its effectiveness. It has to be constantly updated. So was that a challenge that you found, Martin? And how did you get around that?
1: Absolutely, it is a constant challenge. The first step is just to recognize that an existing reputation does not necessarily predicate whether something is or is not quality. There are some exceptional of content on Medium, you know, and they are never going to show up in a Google search on the first page, besides some of the top publications that have you know strong SEO and established history. So the way that you start training an AI, like I think people think AI is like you know I am this all-knowing being, and we're going to take over all the jobs and do all the things. But the reality is that training machine learning, for example, natural language processing, to be able to tag an article as, for example, being a positive sentiment or negative sentiment, or being able to, for example, train an AI to say that this article is about regulation and gaming in blockchain. And by the way, there's an element of augmented reality in here as well. You're basically teaching it. So first you aggregate all of the sources. You can input some metrics or criteria to kind of give the AI an idea like, you know, this is a higher quality source typically, or this source typically writes about blockchain. This one typically writes about virtual reality. And then beyond that, you're training it like a child. You're manually inputting criteria and categorization and then letting it run and see how it performs relative to how you trained it. And you have to continue refining that. One of the other challenges of this, and I'm constantly aware of this, it's on the back of my mind all the time, is that because the training is via an expert, because the first step is aggregating and enriching content manually, I have to be very careful to not be biased, right? So I'm not going to just rank a source as low quality because it's writing about Ripple, because I personally, you know, maybe don't like that project. You have to try to take a stance.
3: Yeah, because there are a lot of research and past examples of The creator of an AI, their own biases end up getting reflected in the AI, sometimes in comical or even offensive ways. (laughs) Like, for example, you know, Amazon was creating this AI to automate their hiring process. And because they had hired mostly male engineers in the past, it was basically like discriminating against anyone who had gone to like a women's college or said anything about women in the resume. And that was quite embarrassing for them.
2: Right. Their practices had created training material that led it to think that, oh, engineers are male and, you know, probably other characteristics as well. Yeah,
1: absolutely. There's going to be bias. And actually, the latest RAGE is the GPT-3 AI system. So when we're talking about, just to be really clear, when we're talking about categorizing or curating content, we're really starting with machine learning and what's called natural language processing, which is basically teaching your little AI. In our case, it's called ABE. You're teaching it, if it's these keywords, then this, unless also these keywords, then that, and eventually you turn it on so that it can start kind of training itself and learning from its own positive outcomes and false negatives and false positives. But when we talk about AI more broadly and the bias in AI, GPT-3 is just this very interesting field. I'm wondering, have any of you explored or read about GPT-3?
2: No, no, we haven't talked about it on the show. I'm a little bit familiar with it. It's basically human-like text generation at will. And I've seen some projects that people have done with it where like they will create like a text-based RPG or something like that.
3: Is this the one that makes this like, you know, it can write its own Tiger
2: King script? Exactly.
3: (laughs) Okay, I have seen this
2: then. Yeah, exactly. Like it has problems with longer term logic, right? Like it can't keep track of like a storyline that will keep emerging. So it's not like it's not going to be writing your novels or your audiobooks, you know, in the near future. But the quality of kind of the per instance is very hard to tell. Another example that I saw was someone fed in a lot of Terry Pratchett, who's an author behind the Discworld series, and then used it to generate, you know, like multiple pages of Pratchett-esque stories. And again, like in reading it, it's like 80% of the way there. Frankly, you know, AI has proven to be really disappointing to me under most circumstances, but GPT-3 looks pretty exciting just in terms of, we're probably getting pretty close to it being able to be indistinguishable from human writing. And as an aspiring author, I would love that.
1: (laughs) I mean, that is kind of the holy grail, right? It's when it becomes indistinguishable, which I forget there's a specific term for
2: that. The Turing test, yeah.
1: You know, what's really interesting is when Open AI, you know, the foundation behind GPT-3 had launched it they actually allowed a couple of different people to apply to try to leverage it for creative projects and there was one project specifically called philosopherai.com and you could ask this ai certain questions and it was really interesting because it would give you a response like i believe that this topic is potentially offensive so i will not respond so it was intelligent enough to say you know so if you put in like what is superior a or b And if it believed that in any way that would potentially be misogynist, racist or offensive, it just would refuse to answer. But I have some and I would love to share after the show some screenshots of answers I did get (laughs) by trying to game the system. And honestly, like it is indistinguishable from something that, you know, most publications would have written. Like the majority of content is junk. So It's incredible. And really the vision here is that eventually what we're going to have is we're going to have customized search and use alerts. So we're not going to need to have humans necessarily involved in doing weekly roundups or hot stories or anything like that. Because GPT-3, I spoke to actually a professional and expert in the field of deep learning specifically. And he told me, it would be fantastic at, for example, being able to summarize The salient points of like a hundred stories that occurred that week or be able to flash for you at, you know, 8 a.m. in the morning. Hey, you absolutely have to read this. This is a hundred percent relevant to what it is that you're doing, or this is highly important. So we're going to get to a point, I think probably within the next five years where this technology will be generating a majority of our content. And that is wonderful, but also extremely scary because. I mean, the content generation is based on the content input, and there's definitely going to be malicious intent in this as well, or malicious possibility. So it's curious. It's curious. It's exciting.
0: I don't know, Martin. I much rather 90% of my content being created by someone who spent five minutes looking it up and then $100 (laughs) per article writing about it. That sounds like a much cleaner and safer world that we would live in. The thing I think is kind of funny is that they tell you to write to an eighth grader Mm -hmm. in terms of how sophisticated you write. Mm. (laughs) And so what we're slowly doing is generating AIs that don't necessarily have comprehension, but at least can comprehend something to the level of an eighth grader. (laughs) (laughs) And so it's like, does it really matter if the AI is only as smart as a 13 year old if he's only writing to 13 year olds? which is the status quo right now in most tech journals and in industry journals anyway, or papers.
1: Yeah, and I mean, that standard drops even further if you look at crypto Twitter. You have to write at like a grade two level, so.
0: <laughs> well, tweets get even easier. I think my favorite tweet-based Turing test completed AI, something that passed my Turing test, was the Deepak Chopra generator. It was an AI that took a bunch of random words and would assemble them to generate a new like Deepak tweet, and would intersperse them with real tweets from him. And you would have to (laughs) see if it passed the Turing test. And at least for me, it passed the Turing test quite handedly.
2: This episode is brought to you by Crypto.com, the crypto super app that lets you buy, earn and spend crypto all in one place and earn up to 8.5% per year on your Bitcoin. Download the Crypto.com app now to see the interest rates you could be earning on BTC and more than 20 other coins. Once in the app, you can apply for the Crypto.com Metal Card, which pays you up to 8% cash back on all purchases. Reserve yours in the Crypto.com app today. In this
3: crisis, many investors aim to keep and grow their digital assets. Others seek to maximize the yield on their cash. Nexo allows you to achieve exactly these two goals. The company offers instant crypto credit lines against all major cryptocurrencies, with interest rates starting from only 5.9% APR. Nexo also lets you earn up to 10% annually on your fiat and digital assets. What's more, interest is paid out daily and you can add or withdraw funds at any time. Get started at nexo.io. Introducing Elliptic, the preferred crypto compliance partner for businesses who want to grow with confidence. The busiest compliance teams rely on Elliptic's rigorous blockchain monitoring solutions to scale up and save money. Protect your customers. Manage your risk. Scale your business. Visit elliptic.co slash coindesk to talk to a crypto compliance expert today. That's elliptic.co slash coindesk.
2: So Stephanie, you know, you mentioned earlier that algorithms like kind of Google's search algorithm are sort of known to have these biases in it. And kind of, I think the framing of that question was how do we eliminate that? And I think that for me, when I think about AI and Martin, I'm curious what you think about this. When I think about AI, I actually want it to be biased. I think the problem with Google's AI or with Google's algorithm in terms of bias is that it's not biased around my biases, right? But if it could be biased around my biases, that's really, I think, what we're looking for when we're asking AI to do things. I mentioned it on the show before, not for a long time, and I'm not actively working on the project at this point. But I worked on an AI basically to assist with audio editing, which is something that I spend a lot of time on and do professionally and kind of have very particular requirements for it. And the process of sort of training that AI to help me do my work was literally the process of importing my biases into it so that it could make critical decisions or identify areas where I likely would make critical decisions so that I don't have to spend all of the time going through every single piece of content I ever work on. Martin, I think that that's what you're doing with all your feeds too, at least in the context of kind of the crypto side of things, right? Is that really it's about you almost as the curator and then the ability to automate that process in a way that will give you the results as if you were doing it, but not require all that time from you.
1: That's absolutely correct. And that is arguably, if you see any curation website or platform that says we use AI, It says we use a library of our own ideas, opinions, quality scores, and ratings to automate filtering content. That's really what's happening. And this is why you have to be really careful and, one, be willing to accept a variety of sources. So, for example, like we have 2,100 sources right now. I have only five of them rated as very high and 122 rated as high-quality sources. But we still have all of the sources because there is a chance that there will be quality content that comes out of some of those other ones. And you can't simply exclude certain websites because they don't align with your personal ideology. If you do, you're going to have something, the infrastructure, the fundamental system will be something that only will work for other people who share your mindset. So it'll be like the ultimate echo chamber. Whereas what you're trying to do with curation software is you want it to be customizable to different individuals so that at one point, Adam, if you come and you say, I only ever want to see BTC, I never want to see anything about this token, and I have this, this, and this belief, you will be able to have a custom feed of items that are only relevant to you and your belief system. The risk is, again, now you're in an echo chamber. And maybe you want to be, maybe you're comfortable with that. Maybe you believe that your echo chamber is the right one. It's the appropriate one, the one that's quality, the one that is true. But at the end of the day, this is something that you always have to be careful with in any kind of machine learning or AI environment, is that inherent bias in training.
0: I don't know. I mean, I've not been involved in AI, but you know, it's hard to not learn a little bit about it. And... I've come to find that the only thing scarier when large organizations say they're using an AI or an algorithm for something is whenever they start talking about my favorite word, which is, quote unquote, (laughs) de-biasing and how they, quote, de-bias their information. And so if you've noticed how when you want to search for things on Google, Google's actually become an inferior product over time. And that's because they literally have hundreds, or I think at this point, thousands of people whose full-time job is, quote, de-biasing the search result that on the basis of algorithmic merit said this should be the number one result, but on the basis of a human saying that doesn't feel right to me, or "Mm, I don't like that, or "Mm," they then de-rank it. And so sometimes I think that biases are inherent. Pretending that the system doesn't have a bias is a problem, and then the only thing worse than a system that has an algorithmic bias is when the human curation begins to de-bias it. So in medicine, a good way to think about this is, and Stephanie can speak to this far more intelligently than I can on most topics, but it's called washout, where you run a clinical trial, you have a placebo in your clinical group, and then you get results that show, oh, there's a symptom, or oh, there's a problem with this drug. And then you figure out how to wash out. The people who had a bad result, so that the clinical trial shows, oh, it's so much better than placebo.
3: No, that's not what a washout is. Sorry.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Please explain it.
3: I think what you're talking about is just cherry picking data. Yes. Well, they do that a lot in clinical trials when they just choose who is actually in the study because they don't want people who are too sick because that will make the results seem worse. They want people who have the mildest forms of the disease so they can say, oh, look, we got this person better instead of a really sick person who maybe they could get better, but it would skew the rest of their data towards looking worse. And also, there are a lot of clinical trials and pharmaceutical studies that have a negative result, meaning they fail to disprove the null hypothesis, right? That there is a difference between the placebo and the drug, and they just never get published. And then that creates a bias in the body of literature as a whole, because the results that say, oh yeah, this antidepressant is no better than a placebo, that just never gets published. And so when they do a meta-analysis, which is like taking a bunch of studies and combining them, they look at the studies that got published and they say, oh, wow, there's a big difference between the placebo and the drug. This antidepressant must work. But they're not taking into account all this data that was never published because it showed no difference.
0: But in the context of washout, when appropriately used, it's used as you were talking about. But in the context of we don't care, we just want to get our drug approved. It's a game of how can we justifiably wash out data with outcomes that we don't want in our data set.
3: You shouldn't use the term washout because I don't think that's the right word.
0: But in the same way, what I'm saying is that type of manipulation of data while pretending you're doing the opposite is what's occurring in AI when they use the term de-bias, where they say, we're going to de-bias it. And then you find out that de-biasing as a let's wait till the whole process runs and then at the end of it determine what outputs from the system we're going to throw out before we render the solution, that you know this de-biasing that people do in AI seem to introduce far more bias than the system itself would even present with.
1: I think that the underlying, like the root cause of skewing results like that is the fact that there is a narrative that they're trying to push And that's why we have to be really careful when you're building any kind of curation platform. But I think it's a little different. I mean, it's the same in terms of the concept that, yes, you can introduce bias or have selective bias to drive a specific narrative. But that would be more likely if, and this is why it's so important to look into, you know, the underlying founding teams, companies, and products behind any of these AI solutions. So, for example, there was significant kind of I wouldn't say outrage debate, but you know curiosity about what will happen with coin market since binance has acquired it, right? Will there be a skewing of data and of trust scores and things of that nature? because now this is a product that is owned by a company that has a specific narrative and profit motive. You know when you're building these things, you have to be very careful, but when you're using any of these products, you also have to be very careful. so We have tried, for example, and I have looked at other news curation platforms and websites, and I do find that they are omitting a significant amount of sources. And I can only think that they're doing that because ideologically they disagree or they don't have some kind of a partnership or motivation to do so. I would be the first to say that if I were to write an article about e-commerce solutions in blockchain, I'm going to be talking about tokenmarkets.com all the time. And that's the product that, you know... Adam, myself and the Tokenly team had worked on and built for years. Yes, there are alternatives, but I will be extremely biased in writing an article about e-commerce. I will be extremely biased about writing an article about, you know, my top five crypto picks for the next five years. It's going to somehow be related or associated with my own experience, my own holdings and personal motivations. As much as I want to eliminate that, even if I did, which I don't, it would still be there. But I think... That's what's important here is that the people building these tools should not be the same ones that have an ownership or profit interest in the content that they are curating. You should not have a profit motive or interest in any of these publications, right? Like I'm not an owner, for example, in any publication. I don't contribute anywhere else. So, you know, at least you eliminate that. You have this arm's length kind of agreements, at least with what you're introducing into your AI But it's very difficult, it's very challenging, and I guarantee that this will be one of the most controversial topics over the next five years, is that AI is racist, sexist, you know, it's biased against this culture, whatever it is, this is going to be a pervasive argument going forward. And it's very difficult to navigate around that. But you have to at least disconnect yourself from the products and services that you are curating. So you don't have a profit motive there. Politically, I'm apolitical. I don't really have I've never voted in my life. Maybe people hate me for that. But, you know, I just I feel that I'm not informed enough to vote.
3: Well, you're in the majority, Martin. That's the real silent majority is non-voters. That's true.
1: Yeah. You know, so I've never felt that I'm informed enough to vote. It's not that I don't think my vote matters. I think it does. But, you know, again, if you were very politically charged or if, for example, You were the founder. I'm trying not to like mention any specific people, any contentious topics in the space, but. (laughs) Good luck. If you think about kind of the most well-known individuals in the crypto space, I would not trust a curation platform that any of them launch. It's impossible. I've observed your bias for years. So that's what's challenging and, you know, I don't know, I'm rambling now, but this whole AI thing is really exciting because I'm just excited to just have a single page one day in the future where I open it up and it just says, you know, my little AI assistant probably has like a cute little, you know, favicon or emoji attached to it It says like, here's what's relevant today for trading. Here's what's happened with VR today. Here's everything that you need to know. And, you know, I could say, okay, tell me everything or only summarize the news from the sources that I like. Or like, is there anything that's critical today across any sources? And we're going to get there in the next five years.
0: When you think about what people use anchors or news analysis for, it's finding somebody who has a heuristic or a bias that you either think is contrary to yours and thus interesting, or is the model that if you spent the time To look into it would end up being the same outcome that you would come to. And so you follow them as sort of a faster way to resolve your own opinion on things.
2: Like an intellect proxy.
0: (laughs) Right. And so basically what people need is to find an Andreas Antonopoulos AI. (laughs) (laughs) Build it up and then be like, hmm, well, you know, if Andreas were here, I would just throw it at him and sort of as a heuristic proxy, get his opinion on this as my starting point. Why don't I like build this AI to do that for me? It's going to be funny where, what are they called, tableaus or something, where there's that portfolio company that lets you invest on the basis of like an idea. Except we're going to start having curation heuristics where you're like, well, actually, I want something that has this guy's type of view on the world or this guy's type of view on the world as the way to sort function news and tell me what I should be looking at right now.
1: I love that you brought this up because this is absolutely... Feasible and coming. So, one of the interesting things, and I want to plug what we're doing, but just anybody right now who's aggregating, whether it's in cryptocurrencies, there's a couple companies, right? Like there's Lunar Crush, there's The Tide, there's us. Anybody right now who is aggregating all of this content information, and it's far less prevalent in other industries like AI, cannabis, you know, other ones, but anybody who's aggregating this, because we're collecting social mentions. Reddit posts, BDM, all these publications, we actually will be able to say, hey, Abe, your little AI guy, hey, look at everything that Andreas has posted, analyze the text and the podcasts, look at everything that he's liked and retweeted, and then show me a profile of Andreas. And you'll be able to create models of different people or different topics that say, if you're somebody who loves to read about Bitcoin, or if you're somebody who really admires Andreas, This is what that feed would look like. And you're also going to have the ability to create your own little echo chamber by saying, I want to see only these sources and these keywords and not these keywords. So we're definitely moving in that direction. And it's a little scary. I mean, what if we find out Andreas likes, you know, my little pony, right? (laughs) What do we think of him at this point? Like, I'm so thrilled for... The data or data, I don't know how Americans say it, (laughs) Canadian, but I'm just so thrilled for the amount of information that we're going to be able to derive from this content. And the other really interesting thing is because you're collecting the content in the first place, even when websites go down, like tokenmarkets.net went down, but we still have all of the publications that they had launched last year right? So you don't need to go to like a way back machine. You still have all of that available either for reading or for data analysis. So it's a very interesting forensic heuristic type of project. And it's coming rapidly. I don't know what will happen to traditional journalism. Like I'm not a journalist, but I don't know how that's going to change the landscape of journalism when you have an AI that can just scan you know, Twitter, Reddit and all these sources and try to summarize, like, here's what the people who are influencers are saying. Here's what most people are saying. Here's what the publications are saying. And just spit that out.
0: I think it'll vastly improve it. And it'll vastly improve it for one reason, which is that, you know, the average quote unquote journalist spends how much time before they produce analysis on the thing that they're talking about. Right. And so (laughs) that 10 minutes or that, you know, 15 minutes of pre-production that goes into the 10 minute interview on a topic that There's no possible way they could be a subject matter expert on. This will just make them, you know, 60 percent in the right ballpark rather than
2: 10 percent in the right ballpark. I think the thing that we need to keep in mind when it comes to journalism is that the summarizing is a big part of it. But again, like when I think about AI these days, I used to think about it like it was a solution for a lot of problems that would basically kind of stand on its own. But increasingly, you know, I really only see it at least at this point, you know, and maybe for the next five or 10 years as an assistant, right? It's like having a virtual assistant that can do a lot of kind of the grunt work for you, the part of the work, frankly, that's not the interesting part. And then you kind of get the ability to use that and then apply your own critical perspective and analysis, right? So I mean, even straight news, there's a lot of curational judgment that comes into that. And if we as journalists are able to get, you know, better, more diverse sources of information, then that can all be included into this. So again, like we may get to a point where journalists become obsolete. But given the current state of AI, that's not something I'm concerned about in the near or even really medium term. I think that, you know, until AI becomes self-aware, right, and we're dealing with the whole Skynet thing, which we don't have to get into today, it really is that. Like, until it's scary, it's an assistant, and it's a better assistant than most of us can afford. I absolutely
1: wholeheartedly agree. And one significant improvement that you will see in journalism is, I call this just content spinning, but content spinning is massive in crypto. So a publication or a medium writer or somebody will come out with an organic and original article about something or a breaking story. And then you just see this massive influx of 20, 30, 40 other articles come out that are effectively just rephrasing the first article. And the way that content spinning works is there is software, but it's terrible today. I've tried it out of curiosity and you know potential opportunity. But the other thing is that you have all these contractors that are charging, like I said, two to 15 cents per word. And a lot of these publications are just saying, as soon as an article comes out here, just spin the article because we're still going to get SEO ranking. Just make it unique enough that it, it's not plagiarized. It doesn't hit like a plagiarism criteria, which you can do plagiarism checks. And you're going to eliminate content spinning. There won't be any need for it. If you want it to spin an article, just say, hey, AI, spin this article. And eventually it'll become so cheap to spin articles that it'll drive out any kind of profit margins that might be left in advertising or promotions because that's the only way that these sites really stay afloat is they say we rank on google so pay for advertising but they're just spinning articles they're not actually contributing anything valuable or new to the ecosystem
2: and that's a wrap on another episode of Speaking of Bitcoin. Today's show featured Jonathan Mohan, Stephanie Murphy, Martin Rerak, and myself, Adam B. Levine. Music for today's episode comes courtesy of Jared Rubens and Gertie Beats with editing by Jonas. If you have any questions, comments, complaints, or tips, send me an email at adam at ltbshow.com. And we'll see you next time.